Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Metaverticizing Podcast, your podcast about metaverse marketing, advertising, and related trends in the tech world. I'm your host, Eli Santos, and this podcast is all about exploring the metaverse and its possibilities with people that are at the core of its development, and of course, how marketing is going to be related with everything. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Amy Pack. Amy, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here, Eli. It's a pleasure to have you in here, Amy. So guys, Amy Peck is the founder and CEO of Endeavor XR, a leading global XR consulting firm working with Fortune 500 companies on XR, Metaverse, and Web3 strategy and deployment. Amy was also recently named one of the top 50 most powerful women in tech for 2023 and top 100 women of the future. That's amazing. So Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do in your background. We would love to hear it. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I landed in tech kind of circuitously, actually through marketing. And uh, sort of my first real job in tech moved me from New York to San Francisco. It was for a company called Leap Motion. Uh, for those who don't know, it looked like a tiny iPhone and it was a USB device that plugged into your laptop. And basically it allowed you to control your laptop using just your hands. So it was really early days for hand tracking and it was a great product. Uh, they were very focused uh, as the founders of the company on it being a consumer peripheral. They imagined that everyone would have their mouse, their trackpad, and then now this new Leap Motion device. Um, but the VCs brought me in to really explore what enterprise, what it could mean for enterprise. And, and interestingly, it coincided with the release of the very first DK1, the first Oculus developer kit, which was, we think they look like bricks now. Uh, that one was really big. It was, you know, probably, you know, six inches by, I don't know, eight inches across. I mean, it was this huge thing you strapped on your face. Um, and then our developers actually at Leap Motion actually put, you know, duct tape Elite Motion to the front of a DK1. And uh, one of our you know, development partners called Chaotic Moon built this game called Shark Punch, which is exactly as it sounds, right? So, you know, you, you put this device on and it could track your hands and these sharks would come at you and you punch them in the nose. Fun fact, if you are attacked by a shark, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to punch them in the nose. It's the most, it's where all their um, uh, nerve endings are, are you know, are, are centered. Um, so that really was the aha moment for me and set me on my path uh, initially on virtual reality. Uh, so after about two years with Leap Motion, I jumped off into what I call the abyss of consulting and uh, started my consulting firm. And, and the nice thing was we had already been exploring what some of the capabilities were, especially around healthcare, uh, around education and training. And so it was a fairly soft landing in that I was able to, you know, kind of continue some of the work with the blessing of Leap Motion because enterprise wasn't their focus. And, uh, and we've just grown from there and really expanded our specialties into AI and blockchain, which are foundational for Web3 and Metaverse. So here we are now. Nice. That's a really interesting story. And uh, I love how you, as you said, like you were initially in marketing and then you got into kind of, you know, started transitioning into VR and, and, and then XR and then starting your started your consulting company. So that's really awesome. And I think it really sets the foundation for what we're going to be talking about today, which is uh, the companies that in Web2 that actually value the Web3 ethos, right? So the other day I did a post about how I believe, you know, some NFT collections are actually gating 
ruining the experience for Web3, which I don't agree with, and um, how it kind of makes you, it kind of forces you to buy something in order to be a part of the community. And sometimes that can be really expensive. And so that's how the conversation like uh, really started between me and Amy about uh, what was the topic that we were going to discuss, right? And I think it's really, um, it, it's a really interesting topic in the sense of, you know, it's something that we should potentially discuss more often because the Web3 ethos is something that I believe is really genuine and uh, something that we should really uh, strive to protect as Web3 grows, you know, as the internet kind of grows on, you know, this direction of Web3. And I really think we should keep the Web3 ethos, right? And and so I think um, it's really a discussion that we should be having more often, especially in the Web3 realm and also in the Web 2.5 kind of realm, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I loved what you wrote. And, and I, I agree with you. I think there's such a promise for the technology. You know, the irony is that, you know, we we kind of rail against the 1%. And I think, you know, a, a stark example of this was that, you know, during the, you know, game stonks <laughs> kind of debacle that happened. Um, and, and, and how retail investors said, hey, we're going to take the power and we're going to aggregate and we're going to, um, you know, decide that we see value in a particular stock, right? And, and, and run it up and, and, and take down kind of the, the status quo and, and the power circle. The irony is that, um, you know, what we're doing with NFTs is that we're actually creating kind of, an, you know, to your point, an sort of an exclusive, exclusionary, uh, construct, right? And so we're just creating another 1% in effect. And that I think is really a shame. And I think it's not really the way that is going to propel us forward towards what the true opportunity is around Web3, which is distributed, which gives much more uh, you know, control to consumers and, and allows companies to be more transparent. And I say allows and not forces for a very specific reason. Because as we move towards a more transparent realm, companies will thrive because the customer of the future, this is what they care about. They want to understand the sourcing of materials. They want to understand that they are going to hit their ESG goals uh, for 2030 and, and that they are, are willing to be transparent about that. And, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, we're afraid to rip the Band-Aid off. But once we do, we realize, wow, this is actually almost healed. And now it just needs air, right, to, to fully heal. And not only that, then start to thrive. And so I think we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but, but, I, but I think you're right. I think we need to, to not use the community mantle for everything as necessarily a positive thing, because it isn't always. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, uh, one of the things that we discussed previously that I think it's really interesting is that uh, this uh, this whole movement, you mentioned uh, the GameStop movement, for example, and, and you know, the uh, which happened within the, the uh, Reddit community at the Wall Street Bets. And, and I think uh, the reason why Web3 is happening and the reason why so many people want Web3 to be successful and why also Web3 is becoming successful is because uh, there's a actual an actual shift in the perspective of perspective of the consumers right so they're realizing the power that they have if they unite and if they stick together and they want to enable the internet to support um, this kind of this 
decentralized movement, right? And so I think, you know, uh, when it comes to, when, when you start looking at things at this perspective, you know, um, everything is going to change from a business perspective, from an enterprise perspective. And I believe that the businesses that uh, adapt the, I wouldn't say the fastest, but like the businesses that adapt well enough are the ones that are going to be around in the future because consumers are going to look at them and say, oh, he's, they're kind of like one of us, you know, like they believe in the same things that we believe and they also want to empower us, right? So one of the concepts that I love the most is that some brands are doing, for example, Lacoste and even Starbucks, it's kind of co-creating the brand with their community, right? So I absolutely love this concept. And I think, you know, that's, that's the future of businesses, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that um, you know, one of the primary channels that has has been challenging for companies is the direct to consumer, right? Because, you know, Amazon is a behemoth in the US actually globally. Uh, and, and like Nike is a great example of a company that does have a really strong direct to consumer model. But this is really kind of accelerating that and, and, and pushing that forward. So the business outcome for companies moving into this Web3, and I you know, agree, it really is, you know, a 2.5, right? We can't move there immediately, but it's it's kind of taking steps towards being, um, you know, much more transparent with your consumer, asking them nicely for their data, uh, and then and, and then offering a host of kind of co-created experiences um, and 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 a different type of surprise and delight for for customers. But but that the value is that now you you actually will know your consumer in the way that they want to be known as opposed to this very nefarious like harvesting of data behind their backs and leveraging behavioral science to like it's really the stuff of like you know the 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 you know superhero films of the 70s right where it's like there's someone on the top of a you know the 400 story building like petting a hairless cat going you know that it, it's like that we we need to be smarter and and let's just be open and honest with each other right yeah definitely and i think this brings uh, a whole new set of challenges which uh we're going to be discussing uh throughout the, the the episode today but i would like to kick start with a question then because you mentioned like nike you mentioned amazon and i think this is a great opportunity for us to look at web 2 companies and ask ourselves uh which one of these is doing it right when getting into web 3 and i would love to hear from you about that yeah, well, you mentioned Starbucks, and I and I think it's smart because they're not getting too tricky, and they're not even calling it NFTs. It's really about you know loyalty, and 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 building a community that is not gated. Um, I love what Nike is doing in terms of creativity, and I think Artifact does. I mean, truly spectacular work you know as an as a native web3 company um but there is uh kind of an unattainable quality also to some of the things they do the floor the floor price of some of the crypto kicks is five thousand dollars right that's really really impossible for a lot of people um nike is in general um you know a very inclusive brand and you know we talk about you mentioned the word ethos which is a, which is a word i really really like because i think their ethos is that their customers aren't customers they're athletes 
And I, so I think that there will be pathways like you see in Nike land. Uh, and I've done this. I've actually earned, I've sat and played basketball there for about an hour and a half. So I can earn a pair of crypto kicks. Um, so there, there will be pathways to be able to, whether it's play to earn, I think they're starting to explore. Um, but, but I like that there's a really strong kind of artistic bent to everything they're doing. The other thing they're doing really right that people don't talk about because it's not quite as sexy is that their stores are very experiential. And, and that's a place where, you know, companies and brands and brands in retail can start. They can start today. They can have really beautiful, um, lyrical AR stories. It's on mobile, right? So it's not perfect, but you can do these sort of short, sharp shocks. Harrods did a window display, for example. So AR is working for them while the store is even closed, right? And they had this kind of Christmas robot come up and pretend to throw something through the glass and then start, you know, dancing. And it's just really charming and sweet. And, and it, it, it leaves the consumer with a smile on their face, right? So there are a lot of things that where companies can plug in and and then start to evolve their strategy. And, and to your point, they don't have to do all of it right now. Definitely. I think uh, what's what, what I believe is one of the things that is the most important or maybe the most important thing is just basically getting started, right? And understanding that, yes, you're probably going to make some mistakes, but uh, fail fast, learn fast and, and get up even faster, you know, and, and then go to the next project. And I think, you know, uh, the main reason why, you know, Everyone is talking about Nike right now and their Web3 strategy, but the matter of fact is they bought a Web3 native company and that's how they were uh, so successful in Web3 because they have this amazing team behind the projects that they really get Web3, right? And you mentioned the creativity and I also absolutely love the stuff that Artifact is doing. And, and every now and then they release this new project that pushes it even forward and I absolutely love it. However, at the same time, it creates this exclusive uh, community, as you said, right? Which I absolutely don't agree with. So uh, it makes me wonder maybe like what would be the... What do you think would be the sweet spot between, you know, uh, not, I wouldn't say being exclusive, but like being inclusive and at the yeah. same time, pushing creativity, pushing Web3 and like taking the ethos forward? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we have to move away from sort of the gating construct and 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 make the community accessible to everyone and yes maybe there are specific events that if you kind of buy up and you're a collector and it's in the same way look the interest and in, you know nike and adidas they're in an interesting space um, because there's a whole sneakerhead culture right and it's sort of unique to at those kinds of athletic brands right so so that's where i think kind of the 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 path that artifact is taking they're plugging into that also uh, you know they're born out of the gaming world right so they're they're kind of modeling out those sort of behaviors the gaming world isn't democratized in a way now that that you know people are it's going to translate to retail but it's it is another good place to plug in and 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 the gamification of 
design and being part of a community and some of the play to earn constructs. Again, those are 1.0, but that's again, it's a good place to start where anyone can engage with the brand and become part of the community. Um, the other companies that I really like are, you know, the, the dematerialized. Um, there's another one uh, just coming up called Genera, which is democratizing the tools for fashion, uh, the fabricant. So a lot of these, again, you know, Web3 native companies that are enabling designers to start to, to create these digital goods. Uh, and I saw an interview recently um, with, uh, I can't remember his, the gentleman's name, but you know, he's been in the space for a long time and he's, he's, uh, the now founder of a company called Ledger, which allows us also to take more control of our, uh, digital assets and crypto so that, you know, the, you know, FTX doesn't happen to us all again. Um, but, but he made a really good point, which is that, you know, we are not only at this nascent technology, but you know, the way gaming and fashion are starting to merge and then you're layering social media on top of that and then you're laying entertainment on top of it. There's going to be a gaming element to a lot of the things we do in our day to day lives, um, but also enabling people to be creators in these worlds are really important. And and that his version, which, which I also do really agree with, that 2.5, part of the 2.5 metric will be you know, having a physical and a digital asset. Nike's doing a little bit of that. Um, so is Adidas. And there are a few companies where you're, you know, you're buying a physical good and you're getting a digital asset. Um, it's sort of a way to pull, to create a little bit of pull for people who are not really gamers and not necessarily in these virtual environments to, for them to start having digital assets of, you know, that are related to their physical goods say, okay, well now, like, what can I do with this? And then as a company that affords an opportunity to start pulling them more into some of these virtual environments, um, having some more in-store event where events where their digital assets can sort of play a part, or maybe they can be on display. So it's, it's a, again, it's a plugging in point to help all of us gather as opposed to just a few digital natives. I, I absolutely love, you know, there's, there's a few things that I love about everything that you just said. I think, first of all, you know, the fact that we're adding more and more uh, gamification out of these virtual environments and, and, uh, I think that's absolutely essential. So you mentioned a little bit of, uh, you know, online games and whatnot. And uh, I think online games in in some ways, you know, some of the games are really democratized. So one example that I've uh, talked about previously is like, for example, if you're playing Valorant or if you're playing League of Legends, you can be the top uh, one player globally and you don't have to buy anything for you to become that number one player but if you want to you can buy skins that make you look good and make you stand out but not necessarily make you a better player so i love you know how you mentioned some of these elements you know being tied into especially this new uh, uh fidgetal kind of uh culture that is being created right now which I, I know some people don't like the word fidgetal but i'm gonna use it anyway <laughs> but um but this new fidgetal culture that is being created and I love how, you know, that at the end of the day makes it very inclusive, right? Um, makes people that are not very virtual to uh, also feel that they're part of this and makes people that are uh, maybe exclusively virtual, they prefer 
to to live virtually let's say to interact virtually it allows them to participate in that as well so um i think that's absolutely brilliant right because um uh, it, it, it takes back to the to the exclusivity inclusivity talk that we, we were having and um uh, do you think this is over time you know in the near future with regulations in place for this and and this being uh more widely adopted by brands what do you think it's going to be uh both uh the perspective of consumers and companies around this in the future what do you think this scenario is going to evolve into well, I think if we're smart, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll address the consumer side first. I think as consumers, we've seen the benefit of things like GDPR, even though it's a little bit of a pain to have to go in because um, sometimes they don't always default to, you know, being off. So you have to actually go in and, and like turn everything off uh, on the tracking. But at least it's given us uh, a, an understanding that actually we are empowered. Um, you know, GameStop, we can in aggregate be empowered to affect change. So I would almost bat the question back to all of us collectively. It's like, what do we want our relationships to be? And then let's really push regulators to say, look, this is what we want. We want, we want, and, and there are companies building this today, right? The the interface that allows us to manage our data. And then we'll have sort of a personal AI mechanism uh, around it that will help us navigate so that we can automate, let's say, you know, brand X comes to me and says, hey, you're one of our loyal customers or you have an NFT of ours. Uh, you know, we would like to have these 12 data points and in exchange, you know, you get invited to this event or you get to customize this new asset that's coming out next year or whatever. It, it can even be crypto, right? It can. It, it, that's, again, well, 1.0, I think we're not thinking broadly enough about it, but that's a good start. And then we'll have, you know, this automation that'll say if it falls within these parameters, we automatically say yes. Otherwise, it'll give us a notification. You know, do you want to you know, say yes or no. Uh, and you can also shut those permissions off at any time or give it, you know, a time to live, right? So it's like, all right, you can have this for three months and then, you know, surprise and delight me. And then on the, you know, brand side, and it's scary for brands to give up this level of control, but this idea of, you know, knowing your customer should come from your customer. Right. And, and they have to let go of this idea that they're going to be able to know their customer better than their customers, because that is not a healthy thing. Right. It's not healthy for the you know, manipulation tactics now that are that are starting to become commonplace uh, in terms of fake news and in terms of the way that we are presenting things to consumers. So it's a it's a it's a two sided street. Uh, we all need to take a step forward. We all need to build this construct. And, you know, we consumers are also the workforce like their consumers are also working at these companies so we have the power to define what this next you know evolution and revolution is going to be and so let's start by by taking control of data and, and moving to a more transparent construct 
I absolutely love it. And I think that's why it's so important to have consultants like Amy, for example, working within your companies, because it takes someone that really gets Web3 in order to build something in Web3, right? Because as you can see, and as we uh, already talked about, and I think that's completely like, that's one of the most important aspects of it. It's that the consumer behavior is shifting. And it's, it's probably going to shift dramatically over the next few years. And consumers are realizing that at the end of the day it's not uh they uh, the consumers are not the, the ones that need brands it's the brands that need the consumers right so consumers are finally realizing that and so i think you mentioned for example you know uh, uh granting data to consumers and consumers allowing uh companies to use their data right and and this is also something that we uh, talked about briefly the last conversation we had but like it's becoming overwhelming right because uh, we're coming to a point where every pre pretty much every website that you enter you have to accept either accept or deny the cookies and every website has a different system in terms of like how do you go to accept the cookies and some of them leave as a standard uh, everything on and and uh, some of them leave as a standard everything off and some of them like are confusing you don't really get what's happening some of them don't even ask you so it gets you you know wondering like oh are they harvesting what are they my data or <laughs> yeah and so like it's becoming confusing and it's becoming an, uh, a true challenge not only for businesses but also for consumers right so uh it, it gets us thinking about privacy and data in the future and how data is going to be stored how data is going to be handled so um this makes me think about you know taking a step back about how companies seem to be so focused and so reliant on data for marketing purposes so um, should we start thinking about a new economic model or should we start thinking about, you know, uh, how businesses are going to be um, uh, focusing their efforts in the future, maybe from a marketing perspective or maybe not, maybe from a more general perspective? What do you think? Well, I have been promoting a new economic model for a long time and I don't have all the answers, but I do want to open up the conversation, which is that you know, our current economic model, you know, first of all, currency was was originally tied to commodity, right? So there, there was a physical good that the currency was tied to, and now it's tied to governments and stability, you know, stable governments. And that's what gives currencies their stability. Uh, and we're in sort of this wild west with cryptocurrency and of course with you know unregulated environments where there's a lot of money that brings out the sort of master criminals so we're seeing a lot of that which unfortunately is tarnishing what the opportunity is and i think that there's an opportunity uh, that where where data you know a, a transparent exchange of data for value could be another model that we could start to explore we can even you know model and simulate these these environments and these outcomes because um, what we're not good at as humans is cause and effect long term so we don't necessarily have the breadth of understanding to see a problem and think oh well we'll solve this problem by you know DAOs are an example of this right you say x and we're going to do this to make this fair for everyone but then you have staking well then it's only people who are able to stake and so and that means they have to have a higher financial con contribution. So there's this cause and effect domino system that that we don't understand, which we'd have to really do a lot of work on. But at its core, you know, one one of the ideas that um, you know we're exploring is what what is the value of data, uh, you know, in an exchange, and then what what 
does the value mean? And, and that can, again, be experiential. It can be access uh, and it can be around data points that are tied to who we are and how we're actually helping the planet. So, for example, um, you know, you know, goods sold by a company who are already hitting their ESG goals, who are, uh, you know, already doing good things for the planet that are, you know, changing the types of materials that they're using, who are moving to a transparent system, um, they're going to attract more buyers. And therefore, they're going to be able to have a more open conversation with those, you know, buyers and consumers about, you know, what the value construct is. And it could be fluid. I, I would love to see a much more fluid system where it's like, okay, you know, this, my coffee cup is $10, right? But, but what if for, for, you know, based on ability to pay, maybe it's $5 for someone and maybe it's 15 for somebody else. You know, we, we're not thinking in these terms because, you know, in order to report right to our shareholders and our stakeholders as large companies, we have to have, be able to have, you know, concrete value system. Um, but I still think that there's an opportunity for a, a much more nuanced economy that's not based on scarcity because it's a false scarcity, especially in the digital realm. Uh, and that we're somehow missing, we're, 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 we're missing sort of that key ingredient that brings humanity, that brings to light the things that we care about as humans and that brings actually mechanisms for protecting our planet because without a you know protected planet we just don't exist right and so there's this sort of waterfall effect that be, you know begins with us as uh, you know a global village and ends with us as an individual and so how do we build an economy that is is true to the things we care about I absolutely love this concept because I think, you know, uh, I think maybe we're not at that point just yet, but we're moving that direction towards that direction, I think, uh, in terms of creating an economic model or maybe business models that really empower society in general and uh, really you know, allows us to think more about the collective and more about the well-being of the collective rather than uh, the success of individuals, right? So, uh, one thing that you mentioned that I think it's really interesting, I would love to point out and potentially even discuss a little bit further, is that when you look at fiat currency, for example, you have the dollar and you have, for example, here in Brazil, you have the Brazilian reais. So, there's different currencies that they have different values in a global, let's say in a global chain, they have different values. So, one is more valuable than the other however like uh, this is tied up to you know the success or maybe uh how stable the government is or maybe how successful companies are that are backing that currency kind of but what we're seeing and what i think it's interesting is that crypto and tokens they have the power to express a value of something by itself so i think it's an interesting concept you know so if i have a product i have my own currency and that is the you know kind of the value expressed by itself in my own currency you know and the end goal is not necessarily to uh, buy the currency and hold it right so that i can become i, I can go to the moon and have diamond hands but like uh, but <laughs> i support it because I, I i have it because i support it or maybe i have it because i want to use it. it it's 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 infrastructure right and so at the end of the day like it's as i said it's a it's a currency that expresses its own value 
and I think that's a really interesting concept. I would love to, to, to hear a little bit more from you about that. How do you think, you know, this shift is going to happen in the upcoming years in terms of, you know, us potentially not using fiat anymore and, you know, using crypto for value purposes and maybe for environment purposes rather than for investment purposes? Yeah, I think it's interesting, um, you know, the the there are tokens around um you know that that are based on you know an individual doing good for the planet and there's another one um for example where you know you earn tokens the more you walk right and so so we're you know instead of incentivizing the money grab right and that you know the more the more the bigger the pile you have the more important you are and the most you know then you get your your, your jet and your yacht and your 14 houses um but you know what if we all just took a step back and said you know what if everybody you know and, and i'm not a fan of, of the term universal basic income because i think of it more as universal basic opportunity like we should all have the opportunity to thrive and i don't believe that you know having sh food and shelter and and water and and safety is you know going to cause people to be lazy right you know there's there's this notion that you know if you just well if you give people the basics then they just don't want to work for anything and i don't believe that's the case i think if you give them with that opportunity and you have a planet where they're you know if you want to live at the, that sort of basic level and and not necessarily climb the ladder you don't have to that i think you're going to see more people unplugging from what we call in the us is the rat race right which is just aggressively chasing the dollar and and actually start to build you know we talk about the the creator creator economy but it's a little bit in abstract terms um and but the abstraction to me that's sort of where the key is 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 that it's really about our perception of things and what we care about and so instead of creating exclusive community communities what about creating communities around the things that are again promoting uh more power with the environment that are promoting uh you know diversity and inclusion that are promoting just a life well lived right maybe it's just the ability to be you know near your family or with your family and promote your family but i believe that in order to have that kind of individual uh, that that sense of individuality within a community we all need to find a way to be more connected to i use the term global village because i haven't come up with something better just like i haven't come up with something better for fidgetal because we've got to get rid of that one um, <laughs> but we stop generally at the nation level right so like americans kind of stop there and we don't think of ourselves as north americans from the continent level and then we don't think of ourselves as part of the global village like we don't feel connected to people in china or australia or brazil and i think that is a fundamental component for us to move forward as humans to manage the things that we have to manage in order to correct the challenges that we're facing right now on the planet and and also to build an economy that is equitable and that we are not creating an us and them that we are all just us and that the economy reflects a lifestyle that is accepted by all individuals and yes they're going to be people who want more there's always going to be a criminal element right the 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 war between you know good and evil will wage on 
but we have to elevate everybody on the planet to i mean just the basics and and why we miss that and why we don't feel that human compassion uh, it, it comes down to education it comes down to environment and it also comes down to media that we're that we're meeting we're reading but also what we're being fed and so that's where that data sovereignty you know comes into play where we can start to actually have more agency and then we can use this technology to model out what are some of the outcomes like how could we build this brave new world i absolutely love it because i you know i think and and, and that's where i think also the metaverse comes into play and becomes so important because i think it enables this kind of equality in terms of opportunity for everyone so one example that i love to think about uh that was already talked about here in the podcast in previous episodes is that a kid in brazil can potentially interact with a kid in japan and they don't have language barriers anymore they are uh equal from their own uh, perspective so you know like the kid in japan could be a dinosaur and uh, the kid here in brazil could be an alien and they're friends in the metaverse and they uh, interact with each other they're great friends and they exchange knowledge they exchange uh, uh culture you know and because there's no barriers there's no visual barriers there's no language barriers there's no you know so they can just interact with each other seamlessly and creates it, it creates this kind of global you know sense of community and i absolutely love it and i I think it also opens up the, our eyes for future opportunities in the sense of like if a kid from Brazil can interact with a kid from Japan then well like you know then what are the limitations you know so suddenly you don't have the same limitations that you used to have and then it opens up for a lot of opportunities so i absolutely love this concept and uh something that i often talk about here in the podcast is that some of the discussions uh end up becoming a lot uh, very philosophical and i like that i think it's really brilliant and um and i think it's just an amazing concept overall well, I like to bridge philosoph you know, the philosophy of all of this with, with practical action. But, you know, you, you, when you talk about that opportunity for them to play together, uh, you know, I would like to see us start to move towards a, you know, global education model so that there's there, you know, you can because you can build worlds of exploration that have curriculum embedded and it can have a cultural component to it based on where that person happens to be coming from. But imagine an entire generation of children who are educated with children around the globe that, you know, don't yet have that kind of political construct and they haven't, you know, that, that hatred that you know hasn't been built or these you know long time feuds between countries you know hasn't taken hold and if we had a generation of kids that that actually learn that way and we have the interesting thing is is that you know the technology allows for that it's just we have to have you know the the impetus and, and we have to start thinking more in terms of this kind of borderless construct in the physical world as well and that's going to be something to really overcome but from a practical sense the places to plug in 
are, you know, ex exploring just virtual worlds, like building some virtual worlds for education, uh, you know, for even companies, it's starting to, um, again, have that really, really open and transparent relationship with their customers, which they can do today. It's kind of what Starbucks has started to do. And that's a great place to plug in. But it's important for companies to have a bigger vision and to have a vision that extends beyond the normal kind of R&D and innovation labs that, you know, is 20, 30, 40, 50 years out, that is market making, right? Because we are in a moment of invention, we can we can really imagine what this future looks like. And that takes practical work. That means that from top down from the CEO level, you have to create a culture of innovation that doesn't just live in your R&D labs that doesn't live in your innovation hubs, that is cross functional, where you have a task force, uh, across every business unit you have that are consistently bubbling up ideas. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work. This, this decentralized construct doesn't work in these kinds of companies. So it will have to run through more of a, you know, kind of centralized group to be vetted. Um, but but really creating a, a culture of innovation and 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 invention. Right. And 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 co-authoring. Right. It's a blank canvas. 25 years from now, we have to stop being predictive. We have to start being authors of, of what this future looks like. And we have to start feeling like we have more agency in what it's going to be. And it starts within the company construct um, with really empowering a broader swath of your employees. And from a personal level, you know, I think everyone should just learn a little bit about technology and, and then learn a little bit more about the thing that's interesting to you. And, and, and then take some time to think about what you care about. You know, it's, we don't do that, right? We don't fantasize. Right? When I ask people like, you know, what, if, if you had a blank canvas and, and this is an exercise that we do, um, you know, if you had a blank canvas in 25 years and you could paint your absolute sort of perfect scenario, what would it look like? And the first thing almost everyone says is, oh, well, I'll be dead or I'll be retired or I'll be, I won't be working anymore or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but it's your canvas. You could be any age you want. Right. Technology by that time could allow us to go back. Like I would go back to being 39. <laughs> Just like, you know, it's like I'm old enough to like have had a breadth of experience, but not so old that I, you know, can't be out there and, and running around which actually I'm still doing, but, um, but you know, it's, it's, we just, we, we try and anchor ourselves in a level of logic and reality that doesn't allow us to tap into our creative thought. And right now that creative thought is the key to everything in the future, right? Because, because there is energy behind collective conscience. We just have to start spending a little more time envisioning what it is that we care about and feeling like we can enact change because GDPR happened because we all demanded it. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it all takes back to what we were discussing previously, which is this shift in the mindset. And I think, I genuinely think, you know, uh, you mentioned during the conversation that, you know, it's hard for companies to be that, being that open and, and like, you know, uh, giving up that much control to, to their future users. But at the end of the day, I think the companies that really adopt this kind of mindset, they're going to be extremely successful because people are going to love them. And I think that, um, that, that's, 
you know, that's extremely powerful, you know, for a brand to have people that actually believe in, in the brand and actually love. So if you look at some of the most successful brands that we know nowadays, they're not necessarily, you know, leveraging or empowering their customers, you know, they're just really, really good at branding, you know, and really, really good at connecting emotions uh, of, you know, uh, happy emotions with their products, right? So my favorite example of that would be Coca-Cola and Christmas, right? So uh, why is Coca-Cola linked with Christmas? I have no idea, right? Because it's not a healthy, necessarily a healthy product. And I'm sorry if there's someone from Coca-Cola listening to this, but it's not necessarily a healthy product, but it is linked with Christmas, you know? So I think that's going to be the branding exercise of the future of like, you know, empowering the users and this is going to make them love you. And I think that's going to be more powerful than any branding exercise ever done. No, I agree with you. And I also think that we need to go back to, you know, brands in the early days, like before advertising, before all of it, they became successful because they were really, really good products. We also need to get back to that, right? Really good design, really well made. Uh, in 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 this world, you know, very eco conscious, um, you know, and and. Going back to that and not just a branding exercise to elevate a brand in a way that is, you know, we're like, like glasses, right, for our great example, right? They cost pennies to make. And yet people will pay upwards of $300, $500. You know, that I think is something we need to rethink right and 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 what an object of desire is and why we want them and and we have developed a belief system uh, that is very much tied to this 1% economy that is this aspirational element that we won't necessarily ever achieve and and if you look at the state of mental health around the world we're creating impossible standards right through the the products through marketing to a degree through social media and through entertainment and so how do we have that surprise and delight, but let people feel like they have agency and, and, and give people the opportunity to be the aspirational versions of themselves that isn't necessarily tied to products, that they, that they buy products because they're good, they fit their lifestyle, not because they've been manipulated into buying them. And, and, and you know, the influence is very important, but I'd like to see us move more towards an everyone as an influencer where we all influence each other and we, we are influenced by people we care about, not by celebrity and, and beauty and, and some of the things that we hold dear that if we really peel back and we looked at it from the outside standing in, like if this were a game, we'd be like, wow, how did these people just came to power for no real reason. Right. And, and there's not something that's grounded in humanity and what we really care about. So that, you know, that, that value system is something I think we also need to work on. That's going to be a much heavier lift. I completely agree. And I, I absolutely love it. And uh, I'm sure that we could spend uh, hours and hours uh, discussing <laughs> this topic because it's just, you know, um, it's just so, uh, so amazing, you know, to see this vision of like a more uh, humanized future and, um, and just, you know, something more equal for everyone. And I absolutely love this vision. Uh, however, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. So, uh, Amy, 
Thank you very much for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. I hope our listeners enjoyed it too, because it was really, it was a really deep conversation. And I love having those. And it's not very often, but it happens here in the podcast, as some of you know. But uh, but yeah, Amy, thank you very much. Thank you for, for, for coming here uh, and being our guest today. Thank you, Eli. It was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Me too. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what are some of your future projects and um, uh, some of the stuff that you're um, potentially, you know, working in right now, or maybe some of the stuff that you're preparing for the near future? Yeah. So, so a lot of the um, my my work time is is taken up working with companies on kind of you know strategy around how do they like where do they plug into to Web three metaverse and immersive technology. Um, but in in my you know kind of other life, and I I won't even say spare time because I don't know that there's such a thing. Um, but I but I've been uh, you mentioned the the uh, 100 women. Uh, that is a project that I work very closely with, and it's a, it's we really do a lot of work in promoting uh, female founders around the world to help uh, bring women uh, into Web3. Uh, there's a company that I'm working closely with called Mission Impact. Uh, and and the two founders are you know f phenomenal women and they're building programs to really help women you know build careers and build companies in web3 so those are the things that are really important to me and that i think will help us you know build this brave new world that we're talking about so thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh to share that with everyone no i absolutely love uh uh the 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 project of you know working with women and, and empowering women i think that's absolutely important and uh thank you for uh spreading the message to our listeners and guys um please follow amy because you're not going to regret it it's absolutely worth it and amy how do our listeners go to about to follow you and to keep up with your news uh the best is i'm, I'm most active on uh, on linkedin so that's that's the best place to find me Excellent. So you guys, Amy Pack on LinkedIn, uh, give her a follow. You're not going to regret it. And uh, yeah, I think that's basically it, you guys. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us today. Thank you once again, Amy, for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. If you guys want to follow me, you already know it. It's Eli Santos on LinkedIn, E-L-Y space Santos. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Thank you very much. And I'll see you in the next episode. <music>